Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, Riordan verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome back to the show. Now of course we have two episodes this week, the first being the penultimate chapters to The Sea of Monsters which was released yesterday and this is the final chapters for The Sea of Monsters out today, this being Thursday or Friday hopefully. Um, And I can't believe that we're already at the end of the Sea of Monsters. I started this podcast back in February and we're we're doing pretty well. Um, (laughs) So I'm very excited to uh, dive into this. Um, A quick little note here before we really get in, I want to remind everyone that of course Black Lives Matter movement and the Trans Lives Matter movement are not over. We need to keep fighting until everyone has the right to support that they that, that everyone deserves to have in the whole world and the fact that it's not a thing for so many people is just it's unspeakable really and it's a it's a dis- disappointing fact of the way in which the human race works so to help support these two movements and if there are any movements that you think need more attention going currently be sure to let me know and i will put some links to petitions and donations for things like that as I'm currently doing with the Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter movements and all those links are in the uh, the episode show notes for, for my show so be sure to go check them out for any petitions, donations and information that you can gain to do with these two movements and like I said if there's anything that you think I should be bringing more attention to where I can please do let me know. To move on from that though and to get into this series because Sea of Monsters finale, uh, well from what you guys know of the previous episode, I am not the happiest with uh, what is coming with the finale of this book and unfortunately doesn't really get any better in this episode because today we are looking at the final chapters of the sea of monsters chapter 19 the chariot race ends with a bang and chapter 20 the fleece work its magic too well i couldn't say that word properly let's try it again chapter 20 the fleece works its magic too well maybe i think i did say it right the first time but for some reason it just didn't sound like it was being said correctly I don't know maybe I did say it correctly the first time I just repeat myself but that's just what happens it's all off the cuff here guys so who knows <laughs> now as always I have my points to focus on so today we've got story endings and generally what I thought of it but to begin here's the synopsis 
A chariot race helps bring back peace to the camp as the fleece begins to work its magic. Our group enjoy their time as Grover stays back for a few months due to his success in being alive, and Tyson heads underwater to be a good cyclops. Then, as always, chaos ensues as the fleece works too well, and the plot finally reveals itself. Now, before I get into this, uh, I do want to give a small little announcement. I've mentioned this in the past before, but I am getting published. And it, it, it is just a short story. And I know, say, just, it's it's incredible, obviously, that I am getting published. My name is on this piece. It is completely my own original work. Um, I have had poetry published before and I've been involved with uh, gaming projects but this is the first one that I real really considered to be a full publication as it's something that is completely my own within a collection um, and it will be available in I think a month or two in uh, an ebook a pdf to be downloaded and either by the end of this year or early next year it will be available in hardback as well and I am so freaking excited to be able to firstly get my hands on that but I also want to let you guys know that when the hard book is uh, released all of my patrons who have sort of agreed and are interested in receiving it will get a signed copy uh, from myself so uh, there'll be a little bit of payment in terms of like if I'm having to ship it to people but the majority of it will be me buying the copies signing and then sending them out to to people who would like to receive a copy so if you would like to get a signed copy of my first published writing and don't worry there will be more in future but i can't talk about that right now uh <laughs> become a patron at a healthy dose of fran on patreon.com that is linked in the episode show notes so be sure to go check that out and you can get access to the discord server where me and my current patrons who are on there do enjoy chatting we aren't all that active um but i'm trying to be more active on it at the moment so for anyone who is interested that is a bonus benefit that you can get by becoming a patron uh to get into the main thing though because that was just a little side but i was very excited and i wanted to share it with you guys <laughs> let us get into the first of the final chapters, I think that's a bit of a hyperbole, um, <laughs> that is chapter 19, the chariot race ends with a bang. And here is the overview of this chapter. Please, for the love of the gods, stop with the daddy issues. I can't anymore. The tree begins to restore itself. All is well. The camp celebrates and prepares for a new chariot race. And, you know, seriously, someone call health and safety on this camp or, like, child endangerment. I don't know what they have in the US, but this is, like, child line. Ch child line. Check out Camp Half-Blood, because this is a dangerous place. Annabeth, Percy and Tyson team up. A brilliant fighting trio. Hermes returns and stop with the daddy problems. I don't like it and I'm tired. Also, George and Martha are the true MVPs. Brace yourself. Well, at least Poseidon is all for seatbelt safety. Guess that's one prop we can give to him. The chariot race is underway and not only is Tyson an angel, a angel, 
Angel, but our duo wins. Yes! Oh, and all of Camp Half-Blood are Percy and Annabeth shippers. Why am I not surprised? Because, like, oh, I feel like everyone's a shipper at Camp Half-Blood. It seems like the only thing it can... <laughs> They're all teenagers in a, in a confined space. It's going to happen, like, seriously. And that is the synopsis... No, synopsis. That is the overview for chapter 19. And considering, like... Some things happen, not not a lot happens. So we've got some story stuff that I can talk about here, predominantly to do with the, the Hermes and Percy uh, discussion. And I think what is interesting about this chapter is the, the sort of focus on family, particularly, um, which is also kind of ironic because family is not, doesn't it doesn't go well family-wise in this series, but... I think what's interesting is Hermes' discussion with Percy at the stables relating to gods and their children. The only thing that I would say is basically the the way he kind of speaks about these relationships, I think shows the sort of, not problematic nature of the gods, we already, well, they are problematic. It's not that they're problematic, they're just a problem. The gods themselves are a problem. They, oh, I could be smited for this, oh god. Um, they cause a lot of problems, they are the root of many problems, and their kids are often having to deal with it. But the way in which Hermes kind of speaks about it is that the gods try to be there for their kids, but they kind of can't. And he does, immediately, the explanation that he gives is that if they did get involved to help their kids, then more resentment would build, because... Because it, it, it's really logical, like, that's how most kids are, like, you kind of if can't win whatever you do, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing. In the case of the gods, like, they don't really interact at all with their kids, well, they don't, like, most of the kids don't even know who their parent is. But there is this idea of, like, this indirect communication, and we kind of see that, and it's explained by Hermes, like, he... We get the sense that he has indirectly tried to help and guide Luke. We don't know what he's done because he doesn't actually give any examples of himself. But he does give examples of Poseidon and what Poseidon has done for Percy. Such as the Hippocampi and their appearances and kind of things like that. So it gives this idea of the gods trying in just a really small way to be there for their children because they've they've the gods are the reason for the problems that these kids are dealing with like there's no doubt about it that's that's the reality of all of this it's why so many of the kids are angry and hateful of their parents because they are the reason all these problems are happening because they are related to a god like the monsters only come after them because of their godly connection so the parents are responsible in that sense but they also can't get involved to the level that some may want to. I think most gods from the sounds of it don't really give a damn about their kids. But what's interesting is this idea of this indirect element of gods being involved in their children's lives. But what is ironic though is that in this book itself we actually see direct involvement from a god in the form of Ares. 
Now, Ares is, excuse my language here, a dick and is horrific to Clarice in this book. But in comparison to all the other gods except Dionysus, he has direct involvement with his children. It's not nice, it's not okay, his actions are deplorable. But considering how Luke desperately wanted involvement from his father and the fact that he didn't have involvement from his father is what led him down this path. And then we've also got Percy who desperately wants involvement from his father and really doesn't get anything. In the first book he's told he shouldn't have been born. Admittedly it was meant to be a nice thing but you know being told he shouldn't have been born isn't exactly a nice thing. And then in this case he believes he has been embarrassed by Poseidon on multiple occasions due to him giving more care and focus to Tyson than to him. So it just, I find it ironic that in, in terms of Poseidon, Poseidon is meant to, we're supposed to kind of like him, even though he is also, for lack of a better term, and apologies for the language, a dick. Or all the gods are, really, all the gods are. I mean, all their kids are, are basically abandoned and left to die because they are godly children and in danger more often than not. So to have a god who we are supposed to automatically think of as a terrible god and person be the only one who does have interaction with his children, which has led to his children not really having any negative opinions of him except pr probably Clarice in this case because obviously he is abusive towards her. I just find it ironic that the god we are meant to hate is the one who seems to actually work with his children more often than not. Though he does technically cause problems in that he kind of bolsters Clarice to try and outdo herself in that she does dangerous things to try and impress him which you know doesn't really work out but it, yeah, I don't know. For, just in my head, I'm just like, I find it ironic. But also the explanation that Hermes does give of like, we try to do our best, we indirectly try to help, we just can't really get involved. Um, anyone else, when you read that paragraph, think, sounds like the excuse of an absentee parent. Just like, well, I'm doing, I'm doing my best. I, I help as, as much as I can really do. And it's like, well, you could still like maybe send a letter or... or I don't know, just some communication of any kind and most of your kids don't even know who you are. <laughs> so I just, I found the explanation quite ironic at the same time. But to do with friendship, uh, not friendships, family relationships just as a whole, there's, there's just a lot of family elements in these final two chapters at least as well. Um, it mainly sticks out in this one, in this discussion with Hermes, but then we also have the interactions between Percy and Tyson, Tyson making him this beautiful shield to protect him. And oh, Tyson is literally the greatest. Him feeling bad that he wasn't able to make it in time um, and kind of wanting to, to like, wanting his brother to be safe and just the two of them calling each other brother and ending that chariot race with Percy declaring Tyson as his baby brother beautiful beautiful just loved it and I, I like the message of family in in these elements family and friendship is definitely something that Percy Jackson 
series as a whole has always focused on and I've I've always appreciated that because friendship especially I think is something is really important to develop in series as a whole because if you don't if you aren't invested in those character relationships particularly the friendship you're not kind of really going to care about the relationship which means you don't often care about the characters as much as you should and that that's something that many shows do fail on on various occasions which is unfortunate but Percy Jackson does really well in terms of building up these character relationships at least in this series there are some others that have some issues with it and obviously when I get to those books we will talk about that but family friendships and relationships just chef's kiss chef's kiss Rick Riordan with these relationships but to move on from my my fangirling over the relationships in this series let us move on to chapter 20 the fleece works its magic too well wait did I yeah no I did say that right okay I do have to ask I am saying that right aren't I I don't know if it is my dyslexia that's just making me trip on trip trip on on that that sentence for some reason but it feels it sounds really weird to me I don't know does anyone else feel that that the title the fleece works its magic too well is is really trippy or is it just me I don't know someone let me know if they think the same too um but sorry we'll get into the overview for chapter 20 Percy's is almost as pessimistic as me result I have corrupted him through my mind maybe he corrupted me when I was reading these books the first time around oh that's not but hey at least he isn't an on-the-run criminal anymore again Sally is also of course the greatest give her an award people for the love of the gods Tyson is off to be a brave guy and support his brother for what he knows is coming a war I'm glad they got to have these moments together. Just just the two of them as well. That was so beautiful. <laughs> Cronus really does not let this kid sleep. Everyone needs a good REM sleep cycle, dude. Come on. If you want to torture him... Uh, oh, okay, that makes sense why he's doing that then. Never mind, I take it back. Oh, Annabeth? Annabeth's in trouble? Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, no. Something else. The fleece worked too well? What does that mean? Someone else is at the tree. Oh, jeez. Talia. Talia is back and alive. Oh, my God. I don't know why I went really dramatic at the end. <laughs> but it's happened now, so we've all got to live with it. Um, I say we all. You guys can technically leave whenever you want. Please don't, though, because that would be really sad. <laughs> but... I like to be overdramatic sometimes. But yes, that is the overview for chapter 20, the final chapter for the Sea of Monsters. And we are going to get in, obviously, to story and endings for this one. Now, okay, considering I had a lot of positive things to see about the previous chapter, even though it's kind of fillery, I don't, I don't mind it, actually, because it's concluding everything. This one has a similar vibe in that it's concluding everything. Like, we learn about what's happening with Grover in this chapter in that. Uh, because he came back alive, he's getting a two-month kind of momentary reprieve in his search for Pan so he can recuperate. Um, and then he gets to go off and continue to use his searcher's license. 
Um, then we have, obviously have Tyson, who is going to go to the underwater palace with Poseidon to make weapons. And yeah, everyone's kind of got things going on. Percy is able to go back to school. Not the school that he was at previously, because they said his his he's got ungroovy karma or something like that. I don't know what it was. And so yeah, everyone's getting something. Although we don't know anything about Annabeth as far as well. But she's a year-rounder, so that may make sense. Anyway, um... So everything's kind of rounding up in these chapters, and that's that's fair. You kind of need to round things up in these books sometimes. What? Hmm. Okay. My only issue is this is kind of what I mean. So I don't know if you, if you guys haven't watched my video on my YouTube channel, "The Sea of Monsters Almost Perfect." I recommend going to do that to kind of understand a little bit of what I'm talking about here, because I'm not going to get all of my points from that video in this because I can't remember it um but this is kind of what I mean in that video about this book feeling a little not not out of place it's not what I want to say but this story in comparison to the other books feels sort of like a filler adventure it has its moments it has its story it has its plot it has its drama it has its adventure but considering the overall narrative, the whole story of the whole Chrono situation, other than this final moment where Talia is brought back and revived because of the fleece, and we learn that this was Cronus's plan and Luke's plan with the fleece, everything else about this book feels a little bit out of place. The whole getting the fleece, that obviously totally makes sense, the camp was in trouble. But the overarching plan, at least for me, it may it may not be the case for everyone else, but for me, I felt like the whole... It's probably due to the fact that Luke doesn't really play a role in this book. And considering that this was his and Cronus's plan, his lack of interaction in the story makes this feel... The, the whole Tali thing feel out of place, even though this is the huge plot twist that leads to all the stuff that's happened in the next book and the later books. The fact that this happens and the rest of the book really had no involvement with Luke. Really, Talia, like we have moments to do with Talia and like Percy having that dream about her, but they don't connect with the story itself. So the whole journey that we've been on of collecting the fleece, saving Grover, these moments with Annabeth talking about her past, for me, considering this ending and considering where the next book leads, they just don't feel like they connect well enough together for this to feel like a huge twist to everything that happened. Because it just... I don't know. I don't really know how to describe what I'm trying to say. It may just be because in my head I'm just like all the things that led up to this had real no real connection other than the Golden Fleece. I think that's the problem that I have. If there was a further connection, something that tied Talia and Luke into the Golden Fleece then I think I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have as much of a problem with the whole journey and this finale but the journey itself just does it feels so disconnected to 
Talia reawakening. I don't know. It just... It does feel like it comes out slightly of nowhere. It's a, it's a huge, brilliant twist. And it is important plot-wise because it is interrupting with the prophecy. The prophecy is being worked to Cronus's advantage. But the prophecy doesn't really feature in this book. We get a few notes of it here and there where, like, Annabeth tells Percy about it. And then we also get a bit more of it at the end as well. But that doesn't feature that much, even though this consequence with Talia is connected to the prophecy and Cronus and Luke using the prophecy to their advantage and the meaning of the prophecy. Then at the same time, we have this whole adventure kind of being more about saving Grover and then also saving the camp. So yeah, the whole... The, the, the Golden Fleece is obviously the huge important part of this story it's saving Grover it's saving the camp combined together and the golden fleece is important but it's not the main focus of the story at the same time the main focus becomes more about Grover so then the golden fleece also which is meant to be significant and is the reason why Tali comes back it's the reason why Luke is so angry and trying to get the fleece because that's what he needs and yet the fleece, fleece doesn't really feature that much. And it kind of loses its, loses its significance, really. Like, we have it saving Annabeth, who got injured, and then saving the tree. And, like, all of that is within three chapters. No, four, four, four chapters, maybe. Where they, they get the fleece, they save Annabeth, they get back, Clarice goes back. Then the following chapter after that, trees healed so it's just it's just done so quickly that it it just doesn't feel like the significance is there and then considering that the finale has this huge oomph of significance for the fleece for the prophecy for luke and cronus's plan for percy kind of having problems with what's going to be his future as well all these things just don't really kind of tie together there are lots of different threads of different things that don't connect to each other I think that's why this book just doesn't engage as much because all these threads are kind of just everywhere some tie together some don't and then the ones that really need to tie together like Luke, Percy and Talia and the whole Golden Fleece situation don't tie together which makes it all feel disjointed Again, this could just be mean. I could kind of just be talking about out my ass a little bit, which uh, it's very likely because that's kind of what I do. But it's just something that I've always been slightly disappointed with and kind of doing this deeper dive and going two chapters at a time and really looking into it. That's kind of what I've picked up on is that the whole story, considering the finale and the significance of it, don't tie well enough together for the story to feel like cohesive um but you guys possibly don't agree with me so if you have your own opinions relating to that be sure to drop me an email or a dm on instagram or anything like that because i would be interested or comment on my youtube video as well because i would love to hear you guys thoughts relating to that as to the ending though this is a phenomenal ending like the whole book aside and the lead up to it 
This is such a big plot twist ending and I absolutely freaking adore it because it throws such a wrench in in the prophecy, in Percy's story, in Percy's journey, in Annabeth's journey as well. That I'm just, I'm excited to get on to the next part and what comes after this. So, um, the the ending is great. I, this is something that I really enjoy about Rick's writing is that his finales, there's always like a, a thread that leads onto this, but this finale, Sea of Monsters, is the first one that really leaves a sort of sort of gasp like moment like lightning thief it doesn't really have that you have this questioning of what could come next but in this it's a full in your face drama is here we don't know what could come next this is a disaster right here and now and then it ends and we don't get any sort of payoff from that at all until the next book and i'm just oh i love it i love it and i think that's I think this all kind of summarises just my thoughts and feelings about Sea of Monsters. Just as a whole, the book does feel a little incohesive. I don't think that's actually a word. Inco- inco- oh, no, I can't say it. Um, there is a lack of cohesion. I'll say that, that sounds better. There's a lack of cohesion in terms of the story. So many points of it do just feel like it's trying to follow the journey of uh, Odysseus and Jason and the Argonaut, sort of Sea of Monsters journey in the original mythology without actually having it have significance to the story itself which is disappointing because you'd want it to have more of a significance to what the story is leading to but it doesn't really do that and so I can understand why Sea of Monsters is often labelled as the least light in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series I think there are definitely things that could have been improved with it overall and things that could have been added or changed that would have led to a better cohesion of the plot and the story for this finale to really get an extra oomph of power behind it but overall like I have come to appreciate this story so much more than I initially did when I first read it because when I first read it and every reread after I've read this series I read it first when I was 19 and I've reread this series two times every year since then and I can't do math so I don't know how many times that is but this was the book that I always sped through the most because I just didn't enjoy it as much. But now going through it at this deeper level, I have come to appreciate so much more about it. There are still problems I have with it, and admittedly there are problems that I have with all of the books in some form. Um, that's just my critical nature. That's just how, I, how I'm how i wired. But Sea of Monsters, it definitely deserves more appreciation than it gets. But I can see where people come from in terms of this being the least liked more often than not in the series. But yes, that is the end of the Sea of Monsters. And of course, you guys are going to want to know this week's question of the episode, which is a question for the entire Sea of Monsters series, which is, what do you think and feel about the Sea of Monsters and why? Obviously, that question will be across all of our social media to go and answer there, or you can email us your thoughts as well. Um, <laughs> next week we are carrying on with the timeline journey but this time not with the next novel but with a mini short story don't know what I'm talking about be sure to join us next Wednesday as we continue our universe journey thank you again also for joining me today for the finale of the Sea of Monsters I'd, 
I still can't believe how much my opinion has changed on this book overall, considering how I felt about it before. Has listening to this podcast changed your opinion as well? Let me know. Now to plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Stitcher and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media, our Best Damn Camp pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Tumblr at thebestdamncamp.tumblr.com. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran. And also check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow on my personal social media, A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and at A Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in for the finale of Sea of Monsters. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. And I will see slash speak to you guys next time. Bang a rang.